Hey, podcast listener, are you working so hard you wonder if the money is even worth it? If you're like most CPAs I work with, you have way too much to do, you feel relentless deadline pressure, and worst of all, you feel torn between serving clients and being with family. What if I told you you could work a 40-hour week without losing a dime? I know it sounds impossible, but my Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is designed for CPAs just like you who want to get their lives back. Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind is launching soon. In it, you'll learn how to start getting your time back week by week, make your workload manageable while still bringing in plenty of revenue, what to put in your packages and how to price them, and so much more. Don't leave your future to chance. CPA Mastermind will get you on the same profitable path you've been searching for. With unlimited coaching, your success is guaranteed. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there. I'll tell you, behavioral psychology says a face will do more to engage your audience than even just having a person in the scene. So these office photos with people like shaking hands across the desk, but you don't actually see anything that's happening on the faces, that will do less for your conversion than seeing someone's face on there. Welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast, where I help you work less and make more. My name is Geraldine Carter. Is your website a scatter plot of ideas, random phrases, and services? Does it suggest that you can do anything and everything for everyone so long as they're human? Do you look at it and cringe, but you feel overwhelmed or lost as to how to make it look right and do what you want it to? Well, take heart. Making a website that captures your value and tells the right story to your best prospects is a tricky but doable thing. My guest today is Tina Smith, owner of Creative. Creative makes complicated website stuff easy so that clients can solve the right problems, grow good businesses, and live the life they've always wanted. Tina, welcome to the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Hi, Geraldine. I'm so happy to be here. Happy to have you. So let's take a step back and tell us on the whole, what's going on with CPAs and their websites? A lot. <laughs> a lot is going on with CPAs and their website. I did a little homework and I talked to people who did some work on CPA websites a lot and their messages. And on the whole, there is a lot of exactly what you were just talking about, trying to serve anyone as long as they're human. That's one of the biggest things that I found happening out there. And we will get to how do we cure this in some of our pointers later, but that's a lot of what we're seeing is a little bit of serving everyone, which doesn't allow you really to serve that many people. The other thing is the people that are winning the search war out there on in Google, so are showing up on the page when CPA is searched, have some really bad things that are happening on their website, things that are not prone to convert audiences. And then there are some people, you sent me some websites, both of your clients and other people that you've talked with. They have some really great things happening on their website, but they're not showing up in search. And so I think there are things that we can learn from some of these bigger websites of how to win the click and win in that search war. And then things that those websites and bigger CPA firms could learn from people that you work with. So I think there's a lot 
um, that we could glean out of this, but we're trying to distill that down into just five things that people can take away with to them today. Yeah. So we are going to dig into the top five things for CPAs to focus on when it comes to their website so that folks can walk away with something that's bite-sized and tangible, so to speak. Before we get to that, I want to address, I think, a primary roadblock for many CPAs, which sounds something like, why should I even bother with my website? I don't get any business from my website. So there can be a lack of belief in the value of the investment. So can you address why a website can be good, really good? for your business? Yeah. I mean, so we're in a virtual world um, and even more so after COVID where we can't necessarily connect in person. And the one way that people can get to our storefront or even start to see that we do have a business is to have a website. So or at least a virtual presence. And a lot of people use things like LinkedIn or a Facebook page to have that as well, but somewhere that people can come and do first some research because people wanna get to know you before they buy from you. So doing research is really important and Google has a ton of stats about this and they change every year. They go up a little bit every year that buyers do online research before actually purchasing from stores and from businesses as well. So I get some pushback sometimes even from firms who are doing more B2B sales and especially if they're large ticket items. I mean, look, no one's coming to my website to buy a website. You're spending thousands of dollars with me and you don't just push a button to do that. But in order for me, for you to start to get to know me or to trust me, then you have to see the work I've done before, other people that have had success from it. There's just a lot of ways to build credibility, trust, and relationship. And as we all know, like working with clients is all about the relationship. And so I think just having a virtual presence is key to building knowability, likability, and that credibility online. Yeah. So what have you seen in terms of like case study or example from a business owner who went from a 19 days website or no website at all to something that was up to date and had a powerful and grabby message and outcomes that the buyer was looking for? It's really different depending on what industry you're working in, but we have situation after situation of businesses, whether it's consumer to business, like we have a yoga studio that we worked with that we just updated their website, added a couple of things like a button that stood out and said, buy here or join a class here. And they immediately got 70% increase in people coming to their yoga studio. We have places that are business to business where it didn't necessarily result in what we could trace back to, hey, this is how we closed the deal, but their traffic increased and also people downloading their lead generators. We talk a lot about giving value before you create that relationship. And that lead generator leads to a phone call, which then leads to business. So we just have so many stats of growing over and over again. If you're starting an online course, which I know people in your world are definitely doing, 
building that website and your email list and a place where people can come back and land after you're talking to them. We recently did a campaign um, with a company with an online course and brought in $140,000 in um, course revenue just by redoing their webpage and building out an email campaign that landed them back there with some key things that we did to convert people from an interested party to a buyer. So 70% growth, 140,000 new dollars. There's opportunity out there that perhaps a business is missing out on if their website is behind the times. So let's get into some specifics here. At the top, we talked about five key things that you've isolated as most important to look at and address. So why don't you give us the first thing that you uncovered? Yes, I want people on your list that have a lot of great things going on their website to get Googleable. And I just want them to show up and search because what I know that once someone lands on sites like people you're working with, they're going to convert better than the ones that are actually showing up in Google. And one of the things that I see sort of eliminating them from showing up in search is they're not using the words that people would Google to find them. So maybe they're being a little bit too clever in their marketing language around saying what they do. And somewhere in your headline, I, if you are a CPA, I want you to say CPA. Somewhere in your headline, if you're a bookkeeper, I want you to say bookkeeper or bookkeeping. I want you to say financial services. I want you to say exactly what you do. It should be in your headline somewhere. And what I mean is in that H, we can we call it H1, which comes from copy language way back when, but it's that biggest header on your headline. And Google crawls and other um search engines will crawl your website and find the thing that is tagged in that H1 or biggest copy headline there. And that's what tells Google and other search engines what your whole website is about. On your homepage, that biggest headline tells Google my entire website is about this topic. So if you don't have what you do in that topic, you will not show up in search where you wanna show up in search. If people are looking for a bookkeeper, they're unlikely to find you. And the other piece to that is especially if you serve a specific geographic location, one thing that the bigger firms are doing very well is they're indicating that location all over their website. So if they're a CPA that serves Atlanta, Georgia, they use Atlanta, Georgia in the header and all in the text of the website. So my encouragement is, is specifically if you um, serve a geographic location, make sure you're mentioning that location in there because search engines will pull up topics that are close to the people who are, who are searching. So if someone is searching in Charlotte for a CPA, then it will serve up CPAs that say they serve Charlotte. So just keep that in mind. Location is also important to have in headers and all over the website. Okay. So one of the things that comes up is CPAs traditionally have sort of niched, so to speak, by location, and they've been somewhat limited by geography. And that's really changing now, not just with the internet, but it's been accelerated with COVID, where suddenly the the limitations of geography are really reduced. If CPAs are indifferent to where their clients are geographically located, 
then what's the next suggestion in terms of specifically in terms of H1 tags? Well, this is an interesting point that you're bringing up that we'll definitely get into niching later. It also applies for a location. Putting a location on your website does not keep you from showing up in other places, but it will say that you are more likely to show up in the place you're mentioning. So I don't, if you're serving all locations across the U.S., and especially if you're going after a specific niche um, industry types of people, then maybe you don't put it in your headline one. But especially if you do serve a lot of people in a specific area, or if you look in your analytics and you're showing up more across the Southeast, just mention in the copy Southeast. It doesn't keep other people from showing up to your site from all over the U.S., but if you have um, something where you're winning, win more. Yeah. (laughs) And you can do that by putting that copy in there. Okay. Well, here's one thing to think about, Geraldine, is there are so many CPA firms. So you are unlikely to just show up and search for CPA if you don't have a ton of content. So you have to think about what are the things I am going to show up for Can I get into a specific location? Can I get into a specific industry? Can I get, you need to sort of narrow that nail head so that you can really pinpoint a place where you'll get served up in search. And so if you're just focusing on, but I am a CPA that serves everyone and every place and everywhere, (laughs) like we were talking earlier, it's less likely unless you just are a content machine that you're going to start showing up in search. Yeah. And I think it's safe to assume that most CPAs aren't a content machine, but historically CPAs have niched by geographic location, right? That's been how they position themselves. And most, and the marketplace tends to think and look for a CPA in their geographic location. But I think all that is, you know, has been turned on its head and will only continue to peel off from geographic location, especially in, for the CPAs that I work with who are in the small business, you know, 100,000 to 5 million kind of range. I think that niching by location isn't it, even though you maybe want to like, here's the problem. I think strategically that you don't want the clients who search CPA Chicago and just ring you up because that's not going to be a great client for you. I work with my clients to say, no, CPA for creative agencies, CPA for agriculture, CPA for tech startup people. So I think they want to be showing up for those things and not show up for CPA. I mean, maybe show up for CPA San Francisco because San Francisco is so highly tech, but you know, not necessarily show up for like CPA South Florida and instead make sure they dominate CPA for creatives. And I 100% agree. I think the industry, the people you serve, like, let's just be, say like CPA for pumpkin planners. I mean, really dialing into that niche, number five on our list, 100% agree. One of the things that I'll tell you is um, it's not that people are saying CPA in Chicago in search, but they are in Chicago and they search CPA. If you mention Chicago on your website, you're more likely to show up in Chicago when someone's searching rather than a competitor. Okay, great. 
That's a great distinction. Yeah. Let's keep going here because I think I may have taken us for a little detour in the weeds. That's okay, but I think your audience is going to want to know the same thing. Yes. And we like details over here. <laughs> Let's talk about what else you found in your sort of research on CPA websites. What was the second thing? Yeah. Prioritize faces over places. Imagery is really important. Text is important for search, but imagery is important for capturing um, that primitive brain. When someone comes to your website, you've got three to five seconds to make an impression. Imagery helps that happen. And a lot of CPA websites, I see city landscapes. I see a lot of mountains to produce confidence or beaches because maybe that's where we'll retire later. And I see a lot of gray-haired people. So keep in mind that we don't picture our future selves as ourselves necessarily. So this is a little bit of behavioral psychology happening here. It's hard for me to say, yes, that's me because it's not me now and you want my business now. So people and the faces that you show on your website should look like me, whoever your um, target audience is. I should be able to see myself on your website. But the other thing is, if you have photographs of people, um, sometimes I see them like walking on the beach with their backs to the camera. And I, I'm, I'll tell you, behavioral psychology says a face will do more to engage your audience than even just having a person in the scene. So these office photos with people like shaking hands across the desk, but you don't actually see anything that's happening on the faces, that will do less for your conversion than seeing someone's face on there. And eyeballs here are key too. Where the eyeballs are pointing is where the attention goes. So the face captures me, the eyeballs point me. So when you're doing this imagery on your website, make sure that you've got people with open stances, they've got smiles on their faces, and that their eyeballs are pointing you to, toward, or their body language is pointing you toward what you want them to pay attention to next. It might be a headline, it might be a call to action, but those are key things to keep in mind. And one quick way that you can make a change on your website right now is take a look at your stock photography. And if you've actually got someone's back to the thing that you're wanting them to do, flip that photo around as long as there's no text in it, because that'll show up backwards and it'll look weird. <laughs> but you might be able to use the exact same photo you've already got going on if you just flip the person toward the action that you want your visitor to take on your website. And that is a quick tune up that you can do and get more engagement. Okay, great. I love it. How about your own face on your website? Where does that belong? I think a lot of people are shy about putting themselves on their website, and yet you're going to be working directly with that person. Yes, so one thing is if you are a sole proprietor, it's key to have your face on your website somewhere. If you have a team, it's good to have your team's photo up there. I wanna see who I'm working with. I want to start to know and build relationship with you before I've even met you. And I don't wanna be shocked whenever I see you on, on a Zoom screen. <laughs> This shouldn't be new to you once you decide to schedule a consultation. The big question mark I always hear is, do I put myself in the header or do I just put that in a bio? And some of that's going to be like, what do you want to do? And some of it really is, if you are the experience, 
you're going to showcase that experience. Now, one way you can um, do that, that people get a little more comfortable with is you interacting with someone else. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a big spread of you on your website. You can be interacting with your client and that will show, okay, this is what it looks like to work with me. And that can make it more palatable to people. Um, But one of the things to remember when doing bio photos, photos of you is body language matters. So we were talking about pointing yourself in the direction of where you want your audience to pay attention. Remember that um, lessons from keynote speakers are great here. This is the time to look open, welcoming, inviting, and not look condescending in any way. So make sure that you've got smiles, open body language, and that you're pointed in the direction that you want your audience to move toward. Okay. And how about, I think there's a certain maybe underground pressure to look a certain way, like the CPA stereotype, whatever that is, white press button down shirt, maybe a tie and a jacket. If it were me and somebody had a tie so tight it was over his Adam's apple, I'd be like, that's not my guy. What can you say about how you sort of like your dress, your demeanor, and to reduce the sort of, I've got to fit this standard mold that somebody told me I need to squeeze myself into, even though it doesn't fit? Yes, I would say the biggest thing is to look as much like your audience as you can. So whoever it is that you serve, and you've got a list of your favorite clients, think about how do they dress on a regular day when they're interacting with you? How, what kind of clothes are they wearing? Are they generally, if you are serving an athletic industry, it is fine for you to look athletic on your website. That's bonus points. And the reason is there's a psychological principle called mirroring. When you mirror your audience, they like you more, they trust you more. And again, it builds this relationship and credibility. I know you, you're part of my team, you're part of my tribe. If you look like me, then we know this works together. So I would look as much like your audience as you can. I love that. That's so great. That takes the pressure off to look like whatever standard mold and just look like the people (laughs) you want to attract. That's super useful. That's right. Let's talk about overcoming jargon and the desire to list all your services on your website. You and I have both noticed that there's a bunch of jargon and technical terminology that may make some of your ideal buyers make their eyes glaze over. How do they handle that? Yeah, I think it comes with every industry. This is not just for CPAs or the financial industry at all. It's across the board. So we do a lot of technical things with websites and a lot of our tribe speaks geek, but our clients don't. And so we don't want their eyes to glaze over. We don't want them to go, wait a second, that's too much. I'm tuning out. We want them to tune in. So one of the things that I like to do is put some of our copy in front of people that already work with us and make sure they understand all the terminology. Now there's kind of two schools of thought here. I've worked with a technical construction company before And when we tried to change their language so that the primitive brain, again, would start to understand, we like to go back to the thing that's making snap judgments. That's what we want to appeal to first. That's our primitive brain. When we tried to change the language to fit the primitive brain to get that attention, the construction company was like, no, because my um, shop people are going to think we're idiots. So we had to make sure that we spoke technical enough for them to be believable with their target audience. 
you have to make sure you're doing the same thing. So if you're a CPA for CPAs, you can speak CPA. <laughs> but if you are a CPA for creatives, as an example, even if they have some financial background, please do not talk to me about liquidity events. I need to know the event that you think is about to happen in my life. Like, what does that look like in layman's terms so that I don't glaze over as a creative? I don't go, wait a second, that's too much. And I'm out of here. So you have to think about your audience and you can be more technical for technical audiences, but for people who are lay people, make sure that you're using regular speak that everyone can understand. And what we like to say is someone who's in the seventh grade should be able to understand what you're talking about in order for the lay person to not tune out. Okay, great. And I love the idea of running your copy by some of your current clients to see where they get tripped up. Talk to me about emotion because people buy based on emotion. We like to think they buy based on logic. And, you know, we're kind of logical people over here. (laughs) Yeah. We try and be rational and we try and appeal to logic, but that's not always it. So how, especially when it comes to dealing with numbers and tax, which for many people can be bone dry, how do you inject emotion into that? Yes. One of the key things for me is you can use stats. Stats are great. Case studies are awesome. Put them lower on your website. It's not the time to showcase stats and technical language right at the top, because again, we're trying to appeal to that three to five second primitive brain to get attention, to engage. And then after that, I can prove my worth later. In headlines, we're trying to have things that are scannable for people. This is where we use emotional words. We are appealing to the sympathetic nervous system at that point by using powerful and emotional words. And and one of your clients does this really well, where she talks about untangling things and untangling speaks immediately to me whenever I'm thinking about finances. Like there's too much going on back there in that ball of yarn. (laughs) I don't want to know all of that stuff. If you give me one thread that I can follow, I am on board with you. So words like hidden, untangle, and then really getting into emotional words, which are hard for a lot of people to figure out what emotional words to use and just Google it because, and you'll get served up with a lot of like psychotherapy websites, which is fine, Um, but you can get good lists. And also just go to your phone and look at the emojis and tell me what that face means. Use one of those words. This is happy, sad, irritated, frustrated, angry, confident. You know, these are emotional words and we're trying to appeal to emotions to jumpstart that brain to engage so that I can talk to you about logical things. Okay, frustrated, like (laughs) frustrated at the point of tears at tax time. Yes. Confused, like don't understand, lost in a fog. Yes. All that kind of stuff think memes and emojis. They will be your friend. (laughs) I love that you can just go over to your, you know, your Facebook post, whatever, and pull up all the little faces. Yes. And those are the things that you want to tap into. I think especially when it comes to numbers, frustration, confusion, irritation, like I'm not getting it, those things. Right. And that's painting sort of that picture of loss. And then you're going to want to paint some success for them as well. So what can it feel like after they work with you? Okay, great. So such as? It can feel like relief. Oh, yeah. You can feel happy, relieved, confident, safe, secure. 
yes, people definitely want to feel safe and secure. Those are great feeling words that we want to evoke. You want to be confident that your taxes are right. <laughs> confident is an emotive word. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that somebody's not overlooking all kinds of potential tax savings. Yeah. Um, how about testimonials? Oh, I they are the number one thing that you can put on your website. One quick th- word to say about that, though, is most of the testimonials that I see on websites are too long. How long is too long? When I start seeing paragraphs, like you want to make that expandable so that if someone wants to read a big story, they can read a big story. One to two sentences is more than enough for me to scan and get the understanding of what's happening there. And again, for the testimonials, you want them to be talking about a problem that you solved, or you want them to be talking about the emotions that they felt before and after. So we're looking for some key senses. So if someone's like, Geraldine's nice, I mean, that's really nice, but that is not the testimonial we're looking for. (laughs) We want some really powerful testimonials with some good problem and solution situations, or I felt this way before and now I feel like this. My life was like this before and now it's like this after. So those are good testimonials, one to two sentences. And the ability to click through for a bigger story is totally fine but websites need to be scannable. And that's why you want only one to two sentences going on there. So that's how you create very powerful testimonials on your website. Okay, great. And do you want your testimonials sprinkled and scattered throughout? Or do you want to have a dedicated page for testimonials or both? Yes, (laughs) absolutely both. both. And one of the reasons that I'm saying this is social proof is the number one from research way that people start to know, like, and trust you on your website. And what that means is either you've got reviews, you've got credibility in numbers of reviews, you've got credibility and I get a 4.7 out of five star reviews. It's coming from Google or Yelp, or you've got literally people and or companies saying how they've won with your services. And one of the things I love to see, especially on high stakes, things like finances is right up at the top. You've got a one sentencer that you're starting with. So number one, social proof. Then you've got some emotional things happening, social proof. Then you've got some other stuff happening, social proof. Then you've got a plan. You can do one, two, three, social proof. And then there's an entire section on testimonials. And yes, if you've got more than three or four to share on your homepage, have somewhere they can click through. There's an entire page of people who like know and trust us and they look and sound just like you. Okay, awesome. And so back to the one sentence at the top, it's like, so-and-so CPA totally changed my world. Yes, grew my business, saved me money kept me from being audited. Yeah. Okay. Great. Totally saved my bacon. Yeah. (laughs) In whatever way specifically that sounds like. I want to talk about niches because so many CPAs are stuck in a rut of generalism that makes it so hard to grow your business. And if you don't market, if you market to everybody, you basically market to nobody. It makes it so that they can't get found by really potentially great clients. From a website standpoint, talk about what's niche enough and what's not. Yeah. Well, I saw some of your clients or the people that you serve or that you really like working with did a great job of this. Like being a CPA for creatives, that is spot on because, and you could tell on that particular website, it's beautiful. And so it appeals to creative people. Right, right. So getting into a world where you can niche down, the one thing that I want to talk about with this 
Geraldine, is something that you and I have talked about before. If you niche, it does not exclude anyone else from coming to your table. It just means that you know how to be an expert at serving this group of people. As an example, your services, I follow you, I listen to your podcast, I get your emails, but I'm not a CPA. It didn't exclude me from coming to your table and getting a lot of value from you and your company. So you serve me and I'm not a CPA. So it's you're a perfect example, I think, of someone who has niched into, I serve CPAs, but it does not exclude a lot of people from getting value from you. So I do think it's, it's an industry that you serve. It's um, a group of people as defined by, go on Facebook and look up groups that could be served marketing communities, women in marketing, Mm -hmm. a lot of ways to sort of define those interest groups. You can find them in Google Analytics. You can find them on Facebook. The groups are out there. And if you can find a group that's related to that on Facebook or in Google Analytics, it's big enough for you to serve. Yeah. I like to say that if they have conferences and they have trade journals, and if they have podcasts for them, that could be a good market. And Passionate and ambitious is not a niche. That's not niche enough. <laughs> those right. are prerequisites for owning a business. You won't get anywhere without those things. Yes. And I will just caveat this to say, I don't think it's even enough to say I serve women. Mm-hmm. I, women is 53% of the population. That's not going to, it's not narrow enough either. It's too big. For listeners, I'll just jump in here with, if you want to know more about if your accounting niche is niche enough, check out episode 91. And then episode 60 with Donna Lyons, Stand Out from the Crowd. I'll put links to those in the show notes. Let's head in the direction of wrapping up for folks who are, like we described at the top, they look at their website and they're like, oh my God, this thing needs some help, but I don't even know how or where or what. What are the first, what's the first thing they need to go and do? So this might be the perfect opportunity to talk about a free website review. If you come to my website, connecttocreative.com, you can get a free website review. I will send you back a 15 to 20 minute video giving giving you five to 10 things to change today. And it does make a difference what you've already got versus what to do next. But big things are calls to action, making sure someone can get in touch with you, uh, making sure you say exactly what your services are on your website making sure that you have defined a niche and audience can see themselves on your website in your photographs and in your copy and that you're using emotional cues to move people forward toward engagement and that you're using regular language that will serve the clients that you're trying to bring to the table. So I think those are the things I would probably focus on, but if you want specific direction for your website, come see me at connecttocreative.com and we can get you a free website review over. It's a quick video that will give you the top five to 10 things you can change today. Awesome, I love that. And if people wanna reach out to you directly, can they contact you through your website or is there a better place? Absolutely can contact me through my website. And also we are on Facebook at connect to creative and we do live Facebook videos every Tuesdays and Fridays with quick tips, tricks, and website tools that can help you grow your business. And you can also reach out to me personally there. 
Awesome. I love that. I know I implemented some of the things that you suggested and I saw a difference right away, like within 24 hours. So (laughs) the things that you suggest are really, really worthwhile. This has been such a pleasure, Tina. Thank you so much for coming on the Smart Strategy for CPAs podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I love being here and it was great to chat with you. My takeaway from this conversation is that making website updates doesn't have to be a mysterious black box. If you focus simply on doing the five things Tina suggested and doing them well, your website will be so much better off than it is right now. There are a number of useful episodes related to this topic that I link to in the show notes, and they are 54, How Narrowing Your Niche Can Help You Grow Faster, 60, Stand Out from the Crowd with Donna Lyons, 91, Is Your Accounting Niche Niche Enough?, 110, 15 phrases to scrub from your CPA firm's website. And 112, does your CPA firm sell outcomes or deliverables? Hope you find all of that useful. If because of this episode, you make improvements to your website, I would love to see them just so I can give you a virtual high five. Grab a screenshot and email it to me at Geraldine at shethinksbigcoaching.com. All right, that's it from me. Have a great week. Hi again. Would you rather spend your weekends outside playing or at your desk? In Down to 40 Hours CPA Mastermind, we put an end to overworking while maintaining revenue. Go to GeraldineCarter.com to learn more. Dates, times, pricing, it's all there.